As we study Ephesians, Lord, we see how much Paul loved the nations. We see how much Jesus loves the nations. And so, Father, as we sit under your word now, we ask you to mold our walk in the likeness of our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of the Lord. One of the big features of Latino culture is dancing. Even though dancing has never been a feature of yours truly, you know, can't do it. You know, my wife's tried to get me to do it, but I can't. You know, progress is slow, so pray for her. Now, the, the singer Shakira is from Colombia. And a few weeks back, she did a halftime show for the Super Bowl, which I did not watch because I knew that between her and Jennifer Lopez, there would be hip-shaking aplenty, which I could do without. So I didn't watch it, but I heard the next day after the game that at one point during her performance, Shakira had looked straight into the camera and made these weird noises with her tongue, and the New York Times reported that viewers and fans were both, quote, delighted and confused by the noises. And so I went and looked to see what the whole buzz was about. Don't you go look it up now. I can see you from here. But um, I went to look to see what it was, and it was nothing. Those noises are totally normal in some forms of Colombian music and dancing. I was neither delighted nor confused. Now, I share that with you because there's a specific way that every culture behaves. We could call it our distinct accent, our distinct walk. So there are things that are totally normal to us and to those inside our culture that are foreign and strange to those on the outside. And for Christians, this is one of the main themes that Paul has been developing in Ephesians, but then he ratchets it up in the second half of the letter, our distinct Christian walk. I mean, he says it right there in verse one of chapter four. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you've been called. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul gave us this powerful and beautiful exposition of God's plan to unify all things in heaven and on earth under the lordship of Christ. Well, now he takes those glorious realities down to the street level where we live and works them into our daily lives the way a baker works yeast into a lump of dough. I mean, he gets super specific. And that, you know, we're going to park in these three chapters until uh, through the end of March and up until Easter, which is really good because the specificity of instruction in these chapters is really good preparation for us as we approach Easter. Let me ask you, have you begun to prepare your heart for Good Friday and Easter? Now, just sharing from my heart, I'm entering here my fifth year of ministry to you guys, and I, uh, I would not want to be anywhere else. 
I, uh, I wouldn't want to, ooh, I think my time's up. <laughs> so I got to, no. Um, I would not want to be anywhere else. You know, I wouldn't want to be in any other church and I would not want to be in any other campus within Woodside. I love you, my church. My wife and I and the staff team have been able to just watch many of you come to Christ. We've seen others of you who had notions of the Lord uh, become firmly rooted in scripture and understand what true faith is. That's been the case for a lot of you. We've seen others start dating, others get married, others start having children and not not stopping, you know, I mean, it seems like some of you have been pregnant for four years straight, praise God, you know, we've walked through a handful of you as you have buried loved ones or see them go to jail or become ill. And we've walked through many of you through devastating hardship. And so it's been such an honor to be able to share life with you, spiritual life together But I'm also sobered by the reality that the Christian landscape in our country is producing a lot of people who think they're Christians, but I'm concerned that when they meet Jesus, he will not recognize them. I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of evil, he might say. You know, preachers preach to three types of people. Those who love, know, and love Jesus with all their hearts. Those who don't know Christ but are learning. And then those who think they know him but don't. That last group is the hardest because they're deceived. And so what do you do? Well, we pray. And we trust that the word of God will have its effect. And the passage today is so helpful in that because it zeroes in on our distinct Christian walk. And it shows us that the Christian walk is the journey to Christ-likeness. The Christian walk is the journey to Christ-likeness. And so the question for us today is, how do we become more like Christ? How do we become Christ-like? We're going to look at two things. Christ-likeness requires putting off and putting on. Look at verse 17 with me one more time. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul begins this section by telling us how, by telling us how those who do not know God walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their minds, verse 17. Meaning what? Verse 18, their understanding is darkened and they're cut off. They're alienated from the life of God. All of this because of their ignorance, he says. Why are they ignorant? Is it because they didn't go to college? No, they may have all kinds of college degrees. The reason for their ignorance is, he says, their hardness of heart toward God. People who don't know God have a heart condition that affects the way their mind works. And the result is, verse 19, that they give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let me give you an example of this. I read the book Angela's Ashes when it first came out over 20 years ago, but my daughter Rain read it recently and it was very difficult for her to read it because the story is so heartbreaking. It's the story of Frank McCourt, who grew up in Ireland in utter poverty big family, drinking father, and McCourt captures really well the agony for the family as they would watch their father leave to try to find work, which was scarce to begin with, only then to drink away his earnings with a desperate wife and many children sick, hungry, and at home waiting for him to bring them their next meal. 
but he never did. Instead, he came home drunk in the middle of the night, woke up the children who went to bed starving, and made them promise that they would die for Ireland. Again and again. And you read this and you go, why, why, why? Many reasons, but the most fundamental one was a callous heart toward God and a futility in his thinking that led him to yield himself to sensuality. Now, here's the thing. That problem is not just for McCord's dad and his lack of education and opportunity. Not at all. That's what we want to think. I need to work really hard. I need to go to school so that I can be prepared to do what I want to do with my life. Well, not so fast. Look at the opioid crisis in our rich country, which has affected many highly educated people. What happens in these cases? Well, as Paul tells us here, people give themselves to sensuality. That word refers to a lack of self-control, which stems from a cow's heart and a futile mind. And I'm sure you can think of many examples that have affected you personally. And so Paul tells us this is how those who don't know God walk. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So now Paul says, He's told us how those who don't know God walk. But now he says, but that's not you. That's not how you learned Christ. Now in our country, for many years, we've had a lot of very bad preaching. And by bad preaching, I don't mean boring preaching, which although we do, we, we do have a lot of that also, but I mean preaching that is barely biblical. And so what's happened for, is that a lot of people have, quote, come to Christ, but they have not learned Christ. So what have they learned, you ask? All kinds of things. You're amazing. Your life has purpose. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and have your best life now. And there's little about God being amazing. God having a sovereign purpose. God wanting us to be healthy and wealthy for eternity. Even though in this life, we will suffer. Look at the sufferings of Christ. You see, when we come to Christ, we must be taught about Christ. I know that sounds crazy but that's what's supposed to happen. It's what Paul says. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And then he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. When people became Christians in the early church, they were taught about salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then they were taught about Jesus himself and the way that he lived on earth. This is where our written gospels come from. And his lifestyle became the path that Christians sought to walk in. I mean, think of this as Jesus' life. And this is us, and our life is going in every which way. And the journey of the walk, right, is just moving toward him, trying to fold our lives into and under his Christ likeness. That's what the whole journey of being a Christian is about. And incidentally, if you've become a Christian in the last few weeks or months, let us know so that we can come alongside you and help you understand how to walk this walk. The Christian walk is the journey toward Christ likeness. And so then Paul teaches us how this walk actually happens. Because you may ask, well, okay, how is that going to happen? Paul right here gives us such 
practical help in understanding how we go from being this person that's got these corrupt desires and this futility of our minds and all of that into being folded into the life of Christ. And he gives us three steps. Put off, renew, put on. Put off, renew, put on. Let's look at them. And we do that until we die. Look at verse 22, put off. Here's what you were taught, he says. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, renew. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, put on. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This concept of putting off your old self being renewed in our minds and then putting on our new self, created to be like God, is so important to grasp. So let's talk about this for a little bit. Let's take a woman, and let's say her name is Eleanor. I don't know any Eleanor, so if that's your name, purely coincidental, okay? So Eleanor becomes a Christian. And she begins to talk to herself, her old self. Now, don't do this in public, okay? And so Eleanor begins to talk to herself, but this is her old self. And so Eleanor will say, okay, Eleanor, uh, physical appearance was a big deal for you, yes? Yes. Okay, tell me more about it. Well, since I was a little girl, I saw in magazines and online and in stores and in movies and shows that Pretty meant that I would look a certain way. And I wanted to be pretty. Okay, so what did you do? Well, I started obsessing over what I ate. And I started working out nonstop. But I also watched people's eyes for their reaction to me. Hmm, why? What did that say to you? That they liked me? that they thought I was pretty. Okay, so just men? No, men and women. I wanted men to want me and women to envy me. Wow, that's very raw, Eleanor. That's very honest. Now, if we go back to Paul, Paul says that the desires of our old self were corrupt. So how were Eleanor's desires corrupt? Was it, was it her desire to be beautiful? I don't think so, because beauty is a God-given gift. I mean, in, in Genesis, the very first words recorded for human beings come from Adam when God brings Eve to him. Now, if you know guys, you know the guys are usually quiet, but when God brings Eve to Adam, he goes nuts. I mean, Eve turns Adam into a poet, and he says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What Adam is saying is, you are a fine and mighty specimen. I mean, that's what he's saying. And so beauty is a God-given gift where Eleanor's desires became corrupt, where in her desire to be wanted by men and envied by women, right? It was in not knowing that she only needed one man, one, to want her. And more importantly, she needed to know that God saw her as beautiful and had designed her for inner beauty, And so our desires, Paul says, in the old self were corrupt. 
And so we need to put them off. We need to remove them. We need to shed them. And then what? Then we renew. We renew the spirit of our minds, he says. Now, this requires thinking. Before I became a Christian, I barely did any thinking at all. I was just going along with what I saw people in our culture, in my culture, do. My whole life, that's what I had seen. So it's kind of like the mold, right? There's always a mold. So that was the mold that I fit. But then when I became a Christian, my mind started going into hyper gear because now I was questioning everything that I had just assumed before and I was trying to get to know this new being that I had barely given any thought to before, God. And that's no kiddie pool. I mean, that's the deepest ocean. And so for Eleanor, renewing her mind is going to involve asking questions and beginning to renew who she is and asking herself, why did I want women to envy me and men, plural, to want me? And what does God say about who I am? And does his thought of me, his statement over me matter to me to the degree that it can free me from those lesser corrupt desires? That's how our minds begin to be renewed. And then Paul says, and then you need to put on, verse 24, put on the new self created to be like God. And so now we begin this exercise of understanding that we were made to be like God. It's an amazing thing. And so for Eleanor, she needs to be asking herself, now now she's talking to her new self, what are you learning? I'm learning that I belong to Christ. I'm learning that my desires for affirmation from people were vain, were vanity, and vanity is pointless and empty. And I'm learning that I'm so much freer and happier when I live and perform for an audience of one. And he is most kind. So put off, renew, and put on your new self, and we do this again and again and again. I mean, we have dozens, hundreds of opportunities to do this. Now, let me say this. Some of you may have been Christians for a long time, but you're not growing because you're coasting. What we just described, putting off the old self, renewing our minds and putting on the new self, created to be like God, takes a lot of work. And it's difficult through whatever challenge we're going through in life. I was in the hospital yesterday visiting a couple that's going through a very intense time. And right as this thing is going on, she said, I am fighting to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's how we become more like Christ. But it's a fight. It's a fight. And I have watched some of you go through a significant test, but you get knocked down. Because you're not fighting to put off your old desires, which are corrupt, Paul says. And to renew your mind and now to embrace the new you, created to be like God. Now, our groups can help us do this. And the more that our discussions, as we get together as groups, as people who profess faith in Christ, the more that our discussions can center around put off, renew, and put on for ourselves, not for other people. You know how we can do that? Man, it'd be so great for so-and-so if they listened to this sermon. It's like, no, no, no. It's for me, right? But the more that we talk about putting off, renewing, and putting on, the healthier we're going to be, the deeper our spiritual relationships are going to be. Our groups can help us. Counselors can help you. But most fundamentally, this practice, this battle, this exercise begins between you and your creator. As you read scripture, 
and pray and journal your thoughts and you ask yourself, why did I respond that way to this? On and on and on with the questions. All in the power of the Spirit. And we can't get tired of doing that. This is the only way that we grow in Christ-likeness. If Jesus has saved you, he must mold you. Are you on the journey? So first, Christ-likeness requires putting off the old self, renewing your mind, and putting on the new one. And then secondly, Christ-likeness reveals itself in everyday life. That's a good thing. Every single day we have an opportunity to put this into practice. We just looked at an imaginary case with Eleanor, but now Paul here gives us six real-life examples of things that belong to our former self, our old self, that now must be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's take them one at a time. First, lying. Look at verse 25. Paul says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay, so Jesus never lied. He only spoke truth. Any deviation from Christ is a deviation from truth. As we are shaped more into his likeness, we will learn to speak more truthfully and put away falsehood. Now, why do people lie? Because of self-interest. Because of a desire to advantage ourselves at the expense of others. Because we want to save face. But here's the thing. Paul says, don't lie to one another for... He gives us a reason, for we are members one of another. I can't lie to you without hurting myself. A life, a family, a society built on lies will eventually crumble. So let me ask you, are you by your line sowing the seeds of a harvest that you really don't want to reap? Put away falsehood, he says. Number two, anger. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, now Paul is very insightful here. He says, be angry and do not sin. Now, if I've ever felt attention in my own heart is what he's talking about right here. He says, be angry. Now, he's not commanding us to be angry. I used to think like, wait a minute, what's he saying? He's telling me to be, no, no, no. The two statements are one thought. Be angry, but do not sin. See, Paul is acknowledging. I mean, he knows human nature very well. He knows that every human being has and feels anger in their hearts. So there's no point in denying it. You see, sometimes Christians, we get this wrong because we think that anger itself is sinful. And so we deny it. I've done this. Anna will ask me, are you angry? I'll be like, no, I am not. Why would you even ask that? You know, she's like, well, because you look angry, you know. And so we deny it. But Paul is saying, no, be angry, but do not sin, which is really great news. Isn't this great news, you guys? You can be angry, but not let that anger lead you into sin. We can take it. We can recognize something's bothering me intensely here. And we can take that to God and ask him to help us deal with it in a godly way. But then he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I really need you to hear me here. Because you see what he's saying is that even though anger in itself may not be sinful, 
it must always be kept on a very short leash. Like at most a 14-hour leash. Less in Michigan because we have less sunlight. <laughs> Maybe that's why people in Michigan are so nice. Because they're like, oh, no sun. Can't be angry anymore, right? <laughs> but this is so important. You know, he says then, and give no opportunity to the devil. That almost sounds like, listen to me, that sounds like unchecked anger becomes a portal for evil to enter our lives and cause all kinds of havoc. Do you have any unresolved anger? And don't answer too quickly. I would rather you go and meditate on this. Do you have any unresolved anger? You need to deal with it or it will do you in. I mean, no wonder there's so much dysfunction and sickness in our lives, spiritual and emotional and relational. Because look at the short leash for anger. Don't let this, the day end and you're still angry. Deal with it. Don't give the devil a foothold. And I'm concerned that for some of you in some maybe difficult place of your life, the devil has a strong foothold. And if you want prayer on that, let us know. Talk to us. Write it on the card. Come see me. Come see one of the pastors. We want to help you deal with that. This is a big, big deal. It's going to tear families apart. Anger. Number three, stealing. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I've always loved this verse because it goes from taking by force to giving from a willing heart. Right? It goes from stealing to working with your own hands, doing something not only to provide for yourself, but also to the point that you are able to give. Now, I think this is a great verse for you to pray if you find yourself constantly struggling to make ends meet, constantly struggling to pay your financial bills. Pray this verse. It is possible to be in a place where not only are you providing for yourself, but so much that you have extra to give to those in need. And that may require, yes, making more, but also spending less, which we're not very good at. Now, if you're hoarding wealth, you're stealing in a different way because you're keeping for yourself what God means to go somewhere else. The end goal is sharing, sharing with those in need. And man, as we saw so many people this past week in our building, so grateful to be able to claim just a tiny little spot in the student center. The people in Thailand that we saw, we have so much. We are so rich. So we need to really think about this because it's easy for us to think, man, I, yes, I'm making good money. I, I have a good job, but I need it all. We need to do business with verse 28. He says, no. You provide for yourself and you give to those in need. Number four, speech. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So the old self uses corrupt speech. And that can be in the form of curse words, gossip, 
lies, sarcasm, negativity, complaining, put downs, many other things. Spouses and parents need to watch carefully here because our homes are easy places for the weeds of corrupting talk to grow. Words can either build up or tear down. And Paul says that our words should only build up as fits the occasion. I've blown it with Anna many times because I've said things that did not fit the occasion. I've also blown it because I've said things that didn't fit any occasion. (laughs) Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, we're like, oh, sorry, babe, bad timing. She's like, no, bad period. I was like, okay, yes, that's true, you know? But they have to fit the occasion. And Paul says that the goal of our words is to build up and to give grace to those who hear. So listen, people, when they have a conversation with us, they should walk away feeling so great. They should feel so great by the words we use, by how we talk about people not present, by our tone, by our content. Some people talk a lot and say nothing. Don't be that person. But I've also seen serious Christians who let corrupting talk come out of their mouths in the form of curses or curse words. Now I've seen, I've seen wishy-washy Christians that are very lax with their speech, but I'm not surprised because they're wishy-washy with everything. Where I'm concerned is I have seen some people that I consider to be serious Christians who are lax with their speech. And if that's you, if you say, I think I take my faith, my walk with Christ very seriously, do you take your speech equally seriously? If not, you need to do business with Ephesians 4.29 and repent before God. Number five, grieving the spirit of God. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now this verse is precious because it gives us this rare window into the spirit of God. Specifically that we can grieve him. We can grieve God's spirit. We can tend to think of God's spirit as rather impersonal. But what we're seeing here is that actually these various things that Paul has been listing, lying, anger, corrupting speech, sealing, those kinds of things and many others grieve God's spirit. Now what's interesting is that we don't attack the spirit of God directly. What we do is we attack our neighbor, we attack our spouse, and the spirit of God in us is grieved. We need to take that seriously. That when I am attacking my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, the spirit of God in me is grieving. In this section, in these short verses, Paul brings up the devil and the spirit of God. He will not let our faith to be simply intellectual or emotional. The Christian faith from first to last is supernatural. We give the devil a foothold by our anger or other means. The spirit of God in us is grieved. Conversely, as we build up the body of Christ, the sermon from Jonathan last week, as we edify one another, the joy of the Holy Spirit in us increases all the more. And finally, bitterness. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul mentions five different things here, but they all have a common root of bitterness. When we allow bitterness to grow, all kinds of other evils begin to take place in our lives. And I have seen marriages torn apart by bitterness. Please listen to me. Bitterness belongs to your old self. So there's any of it in you building toward anyone. You want to bring that to God and ask you to give you what verse 32 says. Instead of that bitterness, be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If there is anyone toward whom you are bitter, pray that God would make your heart tender toward them, able to forgive. Put off, renew, put on. We have hundreds of opportunities to do this every single day. During your time with the Lord, at work, when you are on the go, at any time we can do this. But here's the thing. The old self, please listen to me here. The old self is like a monster that lives inside of you, like a pit bull. And you can either feed it or you can starve it by the choices you make. There is no neutral gear. You starve it, it will die. You feed it, it will control you. How strong is your old self? We all have it. How strong is your old self? Are you overcoming your temptations? Or are you struggling with the same things now that you're struggling with a year, two, five years ago? Listen, the Christian walk is the journey toward Christ-likeness. We're gonna be fighting until we die. But we should not be fighting the same temptations the whole time. We should conquer and move on to others. Now, as we get ready to take communion in just a few moments, I want us to begin preparing for Good Friday and Easter by waging war against four idolatries in our lives that must be replaced with four spiritual practices. If you have a phone, if you have a pen, would you please write these down? Because for the next six weeks, as we head toward Easter, would you please, because so many times Easter just sneaks up on us and we're not ready we don't have the joy and the faith and the excitement to come and celebrate this time. High time for the Christian church, the death of our savior, his resurrection from the dead on our behalf. So here's the four idolatries we wanna wage war against. Power, pride, pleasure, and possessions. Okay? So power. Do you wanna be in control? Is that a struggle for you? And if so, we need to replace it with prayer, declaring our dependence on God. Pride, do you wanna be first? We need to replace pride with confession. Confession of sin to God and confession of our faith before others. It's very humbling when you confess your faith before others. Pleasure, do you want to be delighted by anything other than God? We're going to fight that with fasting. Now, I hear people around this time of the year say, well, I'm going to fast, but they're going to fast from things that are sinful. It's like, no, 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 wait, what do you mean? Oh, I'm just going to put away bad speech until Easter. It's like, no, 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 no. We put away bad speech always. What are you talking about? We fast in this time from things that are good but can make us dull. Okay, we go without them so that our hunger for God grows. So maybe for you it's social media or your phone or what you eat or entertainment. You think what that's for you. Put it off. Fast. Kill that desire for that instant now pleasure so that you can be grow in your love for God. And lastly, possessions. Do you want to be comforted by the things you have, by the things you buy? We fight that with generosity. How are you going to give in a special way in this season? Okay? So those are the four idolatries that we want to wage war against intentionally as we march toward Easter. Let me just leave you with this statement. Assuming that you have learned Christ,
Christ in all his holiness and righteousness, let me invite you to walk out the path marked out by his blood. The Christian walk is the journey toward Christ's likeness. Do not grow weary. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an honor it is for us to come and sit at your table. What an honor it is to come and be ready to receive the bread, the cup, the body of the Lord given for us, his blood shed for our sins. Father, I pray that we would know that Jesus having all power gave it all away and lived on earth in utter dependence of you. I pray, Father, that Christ, who had no pride, though he was God himself, would be our model for the humility, how he put himself last, and how we want and must put ourselves last and confess our sin before you and our faith in Christ before others. I pray, Lord, that pleasure would be something that we can do and will do without so that we would fast intentionally in this season so that our love and hunger for you would grow. And Father, I pray that even as Jesus was rich and yet became poor so that he could make us rich, that we would not be comforted by material things, but be so generous and giving. Lord, Jesus is better. I pray that that would be the word that stays with us, that the mold of his life, if he has saved us, he must mold us, is a glorious mold. We love him. In his name and for his glory we pray, amen.